Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today's episode is part of the HR Daily Advisor's HR Appreciation Leadership Week 2021, which features unique content like this and online sessions and talks each day this week. There is a link with more information in the description. I'm also pleased to announce that today's episode is sponsored by the only all-in-one HR solution everyone on your team will love, namely. Many organizations found themselves managing remote talent since the pandemic began, and the search for talent has brought others to hire nationally or even globally to fill their needs. Um, And then, of course, to say nothing of all those organizations that were already global, uh, having to deal with new and complicated situations all of which come with a whole slew of new logistical challenges. Chief among them is the need to grapple company culture across regions and nations in a completely remote environment. And today we're going to tackle this and related challenges with two guests who know more than a little bit about them. Today I'm very pleased to have with us Brandy Rosner. She's the VP of People Operations at Task Us and Rachel Lutz Guevara, VP of Global Wellness and Resiliency. She's also with Task Us. Thank you, Brandy and Rachel, very much for joining me today. Of course. Yeah, happy to be here. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, Please, before we get started, we're going to need to know a little bit about uh, the nature of your workforce and and how you guys organize things. Sure, sure. Brandy, you want me to start? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we have a a global footprint here at Taskus. Um, We're located in seven plus countries. We have uh, been working in the outsourcing world for the last 10 plus years. Um, So we have been able to establish a a rich company culture, lots of diversity just due to that global footprint. Um, And we provide specialized services to companies that rely on us to scale their their businesses. So um, our outsourcing company powers some of the most innovative uh, companies in the world. And that's a little bit about kind of our our work and and our folks. Brandy? Yeah, I just um, was talking to our HRIS director the other day, too, and we're like 31,000 employees as of last week. So um, and growing, uh, you know, (laughs) the number just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's a that's quite the workforce to manage. Um, It's one of those things where, you know, it just it begs a lot of questions uh, before we even start recording, you know, you mentioned having to talk to some of your folks in India and in the Philippines, you know, um, that are, I think those areas are closer to each other than they are to us by a lot. Um, how, you know, so it's just, a, it's complicated, you know, just the logistics. How do you get everyone to communicate um, in a timely fashion, I guess would be my first question. Um, either one of you are welcome to take it. Well, there's some early mornings and some late nights for sure, <laughs> but we do take breaks in the middle of the day. Um, you know, we about a year ago we we decided as a company to really kind of outline some what we call rules of engagement, and one of those rules were you know about different time zones and and we've done a really good job, I think, of alternating. So sometimes. You know, here in the States, we get up early and have the, and our friends in Southeast Asia or in other geos will have later calls and then we switch them. So we're rotating. So it's not someone working so many hours every day. Um, and then I think we've even gotten better 
post-COVID of recording some calls. And so you don't necessarily need to be on everything. You can catch up. The calls are recorded. And if there's something you need to dive into, you can then reach out and have um, a quicker 15-minute conversation versus sitting on an hour-long call. That's an interesting system. Um, do you find that there's any difficulty with such a variable schedule like that? People have trouble adjusting or formatting? I think it's variable with consistency. I know what we try to do is focus on, um, like I mentioned, if your late days are Monday, Tuesday, then those are always your late days. And if your early days are you know, Wednesday, Thursday, those are all of your early days, right? So at least there's some consistency across that schedule to set some healthy boundaries. As Brandy mentioned, the rules of engagement, I think have really helped to help people navigate um, what is appropriate to send in an email versus a chat. Um, what does it look like to call meetings uh, during the week versus no meetings on Fridays? Um, so I think those types of things have allowed people to set some healthy boundaries. So even if it is you're starting at 10 a.m. and finishing at 8 p.m., that looks the same for you, you know, on, on those given days of the week. So that's quite the uh, coordinating effort. Do you guys use software to help with that or did you guys sit down and figure it all out? I mean, how'd you do it? Well, I think part of it is um, driven by the founders, right? Our founders have a healthy obsession with the employee experience. And so it really is lead by example in a lot of ways, right? So our one of our CEO, for example, doesn't uh, sleep with his phone in the room, doesn't look at his phone for, for the first hour, asks for that to be consistent across the, the organization, in addition to uh, initiating things like no meeting Fridays and rules of engagement that are really driven by our founders, which is helpful, right? Um, I think within each department, there has to be some of that leadership that that trickles down where Brandy or myself have to kind of organize that within our teams, like what's going to be functional for our teams. And that could look a little different from department to department, certainly. Um, but I think we have good leadership uh, in this area that helps us uh, be able to continue to execute that uh, down down the line. Yeah. One thing Rachel just mentioned, too, it's lead by example. And so we really empower the leaders of each department to make their own boundaries and lead by example so that their teams can have that work-life balance for sure. Yeah, that was going to be one of my other questions was, is there like a master of calendars? Is there like one person who who's responsible for making sure that everything is, you know, makes sense or, or is flowing correctly? I wish. <laughs> hey, I'm available. <laughs> Jeez, <so. laughs> no, we block, you know, but we block time. So someone can look and they'll say, oh, she's blocked at that time or he's blocked at that time. And we try to be very respectful when someone's calendar is blocked out. And you can establish working hours in your calendar as well. So that's visible to someone. Uh, this is off hours for them. So. Yeah. Um, one of the things that the pandemic brought, at least here in the States, and I'm sure elsewhere, uh, is very variable schedules to a lot of people's lives, particularly if they were looking after kids or had to get them to virtual school. People are working sort of whenever they can. Um, it was and remains to be somewhat chaotic, though many have slipped into schedules. They're still non-traditional schedules. So you're talking people crunching work in before their kids wake up, after their kids go to sleep, middle of the day. Did you find that that offered fresh challenges for your system? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one of one of the employees that reported to me, like 
she would, we ended up having her block out recess every day so that she could take her kids outside and, you know, ride their bikes or whatever, just to, you know, also help her have some healthy balance in her life and not have to put her kids in front of a TV or something all day long. So yeah, it was definitely a fresh set of challenges. One of the issues that I think of at least um, is how difficult, and this is something a lot of people learned during the pandemic, how difficult it can be to translate a company culture digitally. And then even if you you think you're doing it, maybe you really aren't because there's a big difference between what you're trying to put out and what people are taking up. And then even beyond that, you know, you have different cultures, different nationalities, at least in your, your guys' scenario. How do you get your finger on the pulse of how your people are doing as far as a company culture perspective? Well, we do quarterly employee satisfaction um, pulse surveys that we've we did prior to the pandemic, but a lot of focus and a lot of change in the questioning um, post-pandemic and just really try to keep a pulse on the employees that way. Um, we have really great participation rates in those surveys, over 90%. So we feel like we get a really good representation globally. Um, and we do get really good employee satisfaction scores. So I think one of the things that pre-pandemic that was so amazing and ridiculous at Taskus was our was our buildings, our you know going to work in these offices that were completely decked out, that were fun and original and stimulating, and just the the community part of that was hard to kind of at first replicate as we went virtually. But I think there's been a lot of focus this last year to put that effort into virtual experiences you know, with team building events and still having happy hours and um, focus groups. And one of the things that I think we did really well where we set up this thing called Connect 15, where leaders would still meet with with frontline employees for 15 minutes. So it became part of our weekly um, cadence just to have Connect 15 so that we stayed in front of our frontline employees. And I'll just add to that. I think the company already really prided itself on being agile and flexible. So this was just another way to to do that. Um, and and we also, in, in our department, alongside with, with Brandy's team, did a longitudinal wellness uh, work from home a study where we looked at all aspects of work from home as far as access to technology, well-being, um, work-life satisfaction, communication with leaders, et cetera, and did that over a six-month period to really get an idea of the impact of moving to work from home. But I think what we found over and over again, as Brandy mentioned, that the company already prided itself on this, this culture of flexibility. Um, and we already, uh, you know, understood and have adjusted to cultural nuances globally um, and really kind of em- embrace that level of diversity um, within the company culture already. So, yes, there have certainly been challenges and hurdles with, you know, having children at home or dogs barking in the background. Hopefully that doesn't happen during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think everyone's kind of that that. Um, you know, collective experience, that shared experience that we're all living has really brought us all closer in, in, in other ways that maybe we wouldn't have been uh, continuing to go to the office. Yeah. And, and James, just one other thing to add is we were 
preparing for this prior to the pandemic. So we had, like Rachel mentioned, had already started to do a study um, because we were really going to start shifting work to work from home or kind of a hub and spoke model where, you know, maybe people could come in one day a week um, and still get that in-face community and then work from home the other four days a week. So we were already working towards that prior to the pandemic, so which I think helped us a lot. What were what was the name of those surveys that you gave out quarterly? Um, employee satisfaction, ESAP. Yeah. One of the the hallmarks of good surveys like that is taking action based on how people are are saying, you know, what their their complaints are. And one of the problems that people point out with large organizations is the amount of time it can take to collate and then understand the data that you get. And so by the time that you're addressing it, it might be too long compared, you know, by the perspective of the people that that made those answers. How do you guys address that? Because obviously, if you have high customer, high employee satisfaction, you are addressing it. How though? Yeah, so we, um, we do have a very tight turnaround time post the survey. So we have a, a business intelligence team that quickly pulls together all the ratings by geo down to site level, even by campaign. So we get a really good picture. But we, within the first 30 days of the survey, we have the data. It's reviewed by leadership. Um, we highlight kind of in word clouds some of the verbatims because we la- allow that as well. So we can identify like, okay, here's the top 10 things um, that come out of the verbatims. And then we ho- hold employee focus groups. Then we set action items. That all happens within the first 30 days post the, post the survey. So there's a lot of focus around it. Um, and then we have, then we put in together the action items and we work on those for the next three months as we roll into the next survey period. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of dedicated effort to pull something like that off. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we're not trying to boil the ocean, to be honest, right? Like, so we pick, you know, three or four action items per quarter. Sure. So we're really just focusing on the things that are going to make the biggest impact. You could see how why it's so easy for organizations to not prioritize those things just because of the sheer amount of effort that goes into it, which is, of course, misguided, but understandable, as are so many things um, when it comes to, to business, many of them of which were highlighted during the pandemic, you know, uh, mental health concerns, you know, uh, single parents and working parent concerns all became front and center in a way that was unavoidable. To, had to be dealt with, just in my opinion, great, because it's too easy to say like, well, yes, the ROI would be fantastic if only we had the time. Unfortunately, we're just going to slide that to the back burner, though, while we work on, you know, whatever our immediate needs, our financials or our hiring problem or whatever it is. So it's the fact that an organization of your size can do it and, and does do it should be all the evidence that any of my listeners need to say you can do it at your organization too. If someone with 30,000 people can do it, you can too. Make your leaders listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one of the things about company culture is um, perhaps a desire for there to be some sort of uniformity. Uh, Yet, if you're dealing with a number of national cultures, or ethnic cultures, that uniformity isn't there. Uh, across cultures and often within cultures, 
how do you guys approach that issue? Uh, do you still strike out for this is this is what what we are, or do you allow for some sort of variability amongst amongst your different groups of workers? Yeah, I think I think we don't think that there should be a uniform culture per se. Um, I, I think the company has established a, a great set of uh, core values that allows for a flexible framework. Um, and within that kind of, again, prides itself on um, respecting perspectives and ideas from other cultures. Um, so, so that's what I would say to that. I don't know that that's really the goal is, you, is, you, is being uniform. And, and approach. Yeah, I would just say the best part of our culture is that we embrace different cultures. So right? I honestly think that's the, our core DNA. Um, and if you have had a chance to look at any of our social media posts, we really celebrate individual differences, um, diversity, different cultures, education across all of our all of our employees about different holidays and or different you know, traditions for the same holidays, you know, across geos. So we really don't believe in a uniform culture. We believe in celebrating the differences of our culture. Yeah. And in the last year, the company's really taken strides to create a diversity and inclusion department. And that's hosted across multiple geographies um, to really take a, a harder look at how can we embrace diversity while being inclusive as part of the company culture. So I think that's been an, an awesome initiative. And now a brief word about our sponsor. As you've been hearing in this episode, it's so important to keep your employees engaged, connected, and informed, especially across a global organization and in this competitive job market. Namely is the only all-in-one HR solution everyone on your team will love. It's so easy to use and you can save your team hours each week. Namely is ideal for mid-sized businesses, whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees. With Namely, you'll have one centralized platform to create an employee experience that is seamless, engaging, and even boosts productivity with features like onboarding, open enrollment, PTO, performance reviews, and recognition, and a news feed to keep everyone up to date and interacting no matter where they are. And HR professionals love it too with compliance reviews, easy payroll processing, HR analytics, and dedicated support. Namely gives you everything your business needs in one intuitive place. Namely will allow you to focus on what really matters to your company, strategy, culture, and all the other important things you've been meaning to tackle this year. Learn more about making the switch to Namely. Their specialists will make it so easy. Go to Namely.com today. Don't wait. That's Namely.com. And now, back to our episode. You know, and you, you, as you sort of touched on it a little bit, but it's how do you, you know, do you guys have programs for getting people to understand the cultures of the various, of the various, you know, ethnicities and groups that are, yeah, that are under your wing so that if someone's speaking in a way, maybe you don't expect, um, you know, maybe one culture is more direct or another one's more vague or whatever it is, you know, that can be very off-putting if you don't have a context, right? And you think, oh, this person's being rude to me. But really, it's just if you understood that in their culture, that's how they express themselves. And so they, they don't intend to do to be that way. How do you guys tackle that? Yeah, I think you have to strike a balance, right? So if, if we kind of did, you know, what was popular 10 years ago around uh, cultural competence training, I think we could fall flat a little bit because somebody's culture is unique to them, right? So it's really about promoting people to get to know individuals versus generalizations within a culture. 
Um, so I think, you know, that's that's the thing that's pushed more than anything else. Is so, yes, we have diversity and inclusion that's geared towards specific groups, right? That could be women. It could be our LGBTQ plus population. But even within that, there should be kind of a granular look at like, what does the individual's culture mean to them versus making kind of generalized assumptions like, okay, everyone in India behaves like this or everyone in the Philippines behaves like that. I think that that uh, could potentially lead for us to, to be fraught with with issues. So I, I don't think the company puts a large focus on that old kind of uh, methodology of cult- cultural competence training, in my opinion. I think we've moved past that. So Flexible frameworks you mentioned. It's sort right. of designed to capture capture any issues that arise and put people in the right framework to handle them, right? Mm-hmm. And the right mm-hmm. mindset, I should say, which is very smart. And uh, one of the one of the trainings, one of my most favorite favorite um, new hire trainings, is um, one that's radical candor, right? So every single employee goes through a radical candor training when they first start, and it empowers us to have that conversation if someone talks to us and we don't understand. Like, why are they saying it like that, right? Like, it, it it empowers you to ask the question or say something like, "Hey, I don't under, I don't like the tone," or maybe can help me, ex- you know, help explain to me why you're answering me like that. Um, so I feel like that's been a really good starting point for us for people to have the one-on-one conversations and work out their differences in the very beginning before it becomes an issue. Yeah, it's. I think we're we're halfway to answering this question, but it's great to see you guys uh, creating a DNI DI program because you know some organizations or some people in the service might say, oh well, you know you've got employees from this country, you've got employees from this country, that's diversity, well done, you know, congratulations. Ignoring the fact that within every country, every individual person is their own person. There's massive cultural differences. I mean, even just a few towns over, people do things differently, you know, never mind within the context of an entire region or entire country. So um, that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge that people have to to wrap their heads around because if uh, you come out of the gates the wrong way when you're creating a diversity program or or you're approaching diversity, it can blow up in your face. How are you guys uh, keeping honest with that or, or... adjusting, rolling with the punches, if you will. Yeah. I don't want to completely speak for our DNI leaders since, since they're not on the call. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the, you know, the focus on, on relationships between people, right? So the company really does focus on not only, you know, those hard skills, right, but those soft skills as well, and really making sure that we're um, leading the way to, uh you know, build effective communication, build trust, um, allow that flexibility, as I mentioned. And so the foundations of that really a a lot of times come out of Brandy's department and my department, right? How do we teach soft skills to our employees around effective communication or mindful leadership or, um, you know, emotional intelligence? I think these things all bolster um, kind of what we're talking about here, that, that willingness to kind of attend to those business relationships with our peers and our counterparts to make sure that the the cultural nuances are um, accounted for, that common courtesy is seen throughout the organization. I think that's that's really where, you know, a lot of that gets, um, you know, bolstered through some of those soft skills. And, and just that, 
highlight a little bit about what our diversity and inclusion team have done is in the last 12 months, we've rolled out 10 new what we call ERGs, but they're employee-led um, diversity and inclusion groups. So they, and they have hundreds and hundreds of members, um, each group does, and sometimes in thousands, and some of them are local to the, that specific geo, and other groups are global groups as well. So they're really a sharing and they're, and I'll use an example of, we have Black at Taskus, right? That's one of our, one of our um, diversity groups. And I joined that group. It was one of the first groups. And I have learned so much by just being part of that group, just understanding how others might feel in a situation that I would have never thought, you know, or, or even even remotely crossed my mind that that might be a concern to them or how something is taken. And so I think just these large diversity groups are really in teaching each other um, and having very open conversations about challenges in different diversities. And um, I think it's just been a really good cultural move for the company. Yeah, it's quite good to get that many people to join up. I guess uh, within one year, I know, a lot of organizations saw a need for diversity programs over the last year. Um, you know, and if you're a small organization, you're trying to roll out employee resource groups. Um, if your framework isn't right, people aren't going to join or it just might be not enough people to get a group going. Yeah. Um, which is really unfortunate because it can be so extremely valuable. Um, so well done, uh, <laughs> especially thousands of people in, in a group. That's, that's really impressive. There is a, we're sort of, I only have a couple questions left, but let's say that, you know, you've got an HR person, probably a department of one, if stats, if the stats hold up, um, and they've gone remote in the last year, probably still struggling to stay above water with all the chaos and changes that have come, you know, and, uh, and so their organization is growing rapidly as many organizations are, they're bringing on new HR people, they're bringing on new employees, and they've done the math to say, we're going to do this globally. That's where we're going to get our talent. What advice do each of you have for them, for those HR people that are, uh, that are going global or even just going national for the first time? Um, coffee. Um, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think just going back to just like, take a, take an outline of the framework, but don't expect every geo to fit into the same exact mold, you know, embrace the local culture, celebrate it. I think trying to make everyone, let's say if you're a U.S. company, right? Don't try to, you know, copy paste everything to be specific to the existing geo or region that you're in. Um, and really identify what's important to the employees of those different regions or geos and build your benefit packages around what's important to them. I think that's, that would be my number one advice. I think for me, I would go back to, you know, Again, that focus on the relationship development, right? So being in a space uh, to learn, right? What do you know about the geography in which you're expanding into? What are the social norms? What are the things that people value in that particular culture? How can you ensure that you position yourself uh, to learn versus teach? 
Um, I think that's really valuable when, when thinking about expanding into a, a global workforce. Um, those relationships will carry you really far through challenges that you may encounter. Um, so, so that's what I would say to that question. Yeah, you, you brought up that interesting thing, uh, benefits. Um, if you guys are bringing on benefits because of the specific needs of one area, do you open them up to everybody? We don't necessarily. Um, and let me give you an example. I'll use healthcare. It's a very standard benefit, right? Um, some countries have amazing already, and I'll just say government ran healthcare or man, you know, minimum requirements and things like that that are above the norm in some other countries. And so I think it's what we use, what we do is we look for the things in each geography or country that is not normal that we want to add on top of, um, for example, in Mexico, right? Coverage outside of <clears throat> the government coverage is usually only given to management employees. And we've opened that up to all of our employees there and their dependents because access to healthcare is so important. And that might not be the same as the U.S., right? Where we, it's not a hundred percent covered in the U.S. It's, you know, there's an employee contribution. So it's, it's really looking at cost and what benefit benefits make the most impact to the employees in a different geography. Um, it's just another uh, kind of strategy and complexity you have to handle, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of organizations struggled because they had in-person in offices in metropolises and then went remote and all those people went to their different states where they're from. And now an HR person that had conveniently only had to deal with one or maybe two different sets of laws now had to deal with five or six because in the States, mm -hmm. the laws refer to where either the employee works and if they're working from home and that's a different state, you have mm -hmm. to have different, yeah. you know, so you can see that sort of just rapid expansion of having to up, you know, having to understand new regulations, new rules, region to region, sometimes even mm -hmm. um, from municipality to municipality, something I makes me glad I'm not in HR. Right now. <laughs> that's not only some of the most tedious stuff, but it's also critically important <laughs> that you get it yeah. right. Mm -hmm. um, any any last last thoughts before uh, before we go? No pressure. Just like the most important thing that you're thinking of right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you were talking about benefits, I was just thinking about benefits for mental health care generally, right? And how lacking that is um, in most countries, e even U.S. included, and kind of the challenges that come along with trying to, um, you know, service people globally, um, not just from a physical wellness standpoint, but from a mental health care standpoint. And the commitment that that task us has really made to try to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I think what Brandy was probably going to mention is our, our commitment to expand global employee assistance programming. Our department has continued to grow as well. Um, we just expanded into India to offer life coaching services uh, and individual counseling um, and all sorts of uh, wellness programming to decrease stigma where stigma still exists globally. Um, and really strengthen, um, again, uh, people's uh, resiliency and well-being overall, um, which, you know, is beyond just our physical health, for sure. I agree. And then I think one other thing that we've done a really good job of is 
is making sure that all of our employees have a weekly one-on-one with their manager. So, and we track it um, in a homegrown system, but having, you know, being remote and making sure that you still have a coaching session or a catch-up session or a one-on-one every week with your manager is so important. And I think it's it's part of the reason that our employee satisfaction scores are high is because we have that connection with our with our managers every week. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I would wager to say that that is true. It really makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. No one likes to feel like they're twisting in the wind, right? Exactly. Um, of course, it has to be followed up with managers actually caring about the things that people say to them, but... That, mm-hmm. I think, also gets helped by having frequency because you're going to listen to it over and over again until you fix the problem. Well, thank you so much. It's been really enjoyable speaking with both of you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much. It's been great. Absolutely. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you ha- might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general or if you just want to say hi. Remember, you can listen to us on any major podcast platform, including Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much every other one. Uh, We're also in the process of adding audio and, in some cases, video podcast episodes to our YouTube channel. Links for all that will be in the description. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.